So, um, what I'd like to talk about today um, is really dovetails very nicely with ri what Richie specifically taught on last week. Uh, last week, Richie talked to us about freedom. And he based that on Galatians 5.1, which says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he clearly and frankly passionately um, really showed us the reality of how, what our lives are today because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of the work of Jesus by giving us his Holy Spirit, that every single one of us who have put our trust and our faith in Jesus are free. We're free from sin. We're free from having to fulfill the letter of the Old Testament law. We're free from what others think of us. We're free from having to feel like we have to earn our salvation or earn our sanctification. So we're free from a lot of things, and we are free to some things. We are free to love and honor God with all of our hearts, and we are free to love one another with all of our hearts. So today, I'd like to get you to join me on a little bit of a journey. And the journey that we're going to go on is just talking about another aspect, another perspective of freedom. Um, and it has to uh, do, frankly, with kind of a personal journey that I've been on for maybe the last year or so. So today, I'm going to just be talking about, you know, some scriptural truth and some personal testimony, just kind of how this has been kind of being applied by the Lord who loves me in my life over this last year or so. Um, to be more accurate, kind of where we're going on is kind of a treasure hunt. That's really what we're going to be doing today. Um, my, this journey that I've been on and what we'll be looking at today really revolves around Matthew 6.21, which says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart is by definition. Um, the journey began, frankly, with the Lord convicting my heart. Um, I don't even honestly kind of remember when it started or why. Was there a particular event or a conversation or something I read? I don't honestly remember. But um, it became really clear to me uh, at a point, you know, nine months ago or a year ago or so, that this conviction that the Lord was pressing on my heart, and it was unmistakable and frankly, very unshakable. You know, it's kind of one of those things when the Lord starts kind of working on something in your life and I can't get away from it. You know, it's like, okay, he's God, I'm not, and I can't get away from it. Um, but it had to do with really two words. And those two words were security and comfort. Those are the two words that the Lord brought to my mind and brought to my heart and wanted to talk to me about, security and comfort. Honestly, knowing myself, uh, that wasn't a big surprise um, that the Lord was kind of shining a light on that. Um, like I said, I, I'm not sure kind of when this journey began. I certainly at the beginning was not quite sure where it's going. And, uh, and you know, so it's been kind of that, that way all along. So I've, like I said, been on this journey for a while. The Lord has without question brought some clarity to my life, to my heart through scripture and through prayer. Uh, he has actually really talked to me about some very specific changes uh, that he wants me to make in my choices and my heart. Um, I know that the journey I'm on is not over. 
um, and there is more to come. He has more to say to me about these things in my life that I need to hear his direction and frankly obey him. So to go on this journey together, we're going to end up looking at three points today. So the first thing is, what is treasure? We're just going to define it. What does it mean when uh, Jesus says, you know, um, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. What does that mean? What is that treasure? So number one, what is treasure? Number two, we'll look at why does treasure matter? Whatever this treasure is, why does it matter that we understand what it is? What's the importance? What's the impact of that? And the last step we'll look at is the real treasure. What is the real treasure? that we should be pursuing and laying our hearts on. So Webster, you always got to start with Webster. Webster defines treasure as wealth, semicolon, something of great worth or value. So that's how Webster defines it. So let's look at how does scripture kind of align with that. So we'll start with Matthew 6. Um, Again, just a lot of where I have spent a ton of time is in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of like Richie was talking a month ago or so, just really meditating on it and praying about it and reading it over and over and over again for it to really penetrate my heart. But Matthew 6, uh, 19 to 20 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus essentially identifies two types of treasure. There are earthly treasures and there are heavenly treasures. And he's saying, don't pursue the earthly ones, pursue the heavenly ones. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So let's dig down first. This is the first step, the first conversation. What is treasure? Let's look at earthly treasures first. What does it mean? Um, Frankly, it's clear from scripture, I think, that the most obvious example, at least, of earthly treasures is, in fact, wealth, is money. It's just talked about an awful lot all through the whole Bible. Um, Money and the possessions that we accumulate because of money. And we will be kind of focusing in on that over the course of our time together. But there's other examples in Scripture of things that kind of elevate to that level of earthly treasure as well. And I want to look just at a couple of others. Um, Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So while this passage is, is a, Jesus is addressing things that we do often at times actually worry about or feel anxiety about, what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, it's also really pointing out things that may constitute treasures in our life, things in our lives, our possessions, our resources that can kind of rise to the level of being a treasure as opposed to just something that we need. Um, In biblical times, honestly, life was just a whole lot simpler than it is today. For most people in biblical times, uh, life was subsistence. It was actually just kind of living from day to day. It was making money today to eat tomorrow. And that's the way life was for the majority of people in the world at that time. Today, um, the world's quite different, particularly in the Western world, particularly in the United States, particularly in a community like Ojai, where um, uh, we have so many more things than what we, uh, you know, perhaps even need, or we feel that we need more things than perhaps we actually need. For us, our our earthly possessions could include all sorts of tangible things. It's things like our money, 
our cars, our homes, the toys we have, the clothes we have, the jewelry that we have and wear, our furniture, what kind of furniture we have, our TVs, our sports equipment. Lots and lots of things, you know, are things, but they can become earthly treasures to us. Um, They also include intangible things as well, things like our looks, our reputation, our fame, our notoriety. Kind of those intangibles can also, something that personally belongs to us that can raise to that level, or even our time. So are these things in and of themselves bad or evil? No, no, they're just things. Um, It really depends kind of what our attitude is towards them. There's nothing inherently wrong with the possessions or resources. They're things that God has provided for us to live, to work, to recreate, regardless of what our attitude is against them. So the first category is kind of money, possessions, and that kind of stuff. So let's look at a second category of earthly treasures. Matthew 6.1 says, Prepare of pra- beware, I'm sorry, be- beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus goes on to give example. He's, he's talking to a group of people who actually he calls hypocrites. Um, and these are people who practiced their righteousness deliberately in front of other people, whether it was giving to the needy, whether it was praying, whether it was fasting, whatever they did religiously, they did it obviously and deliberately in front of other people because they were seeking attention. They were seeking praise. They were seeking recognition at that time. They were essentially saying, look, look at me. Look at how holy, look at how righteous, look at how religious I am especially compared to you, is really what their attitude was. You know, I am holier than thou, I, and I'm showing you how and why I am that way. Um, this is really looking for recognition from a sense of pride. Uh, that's really where it was coming from. But we can also, some of us in this room, look for recognition for another reason. Um, I think all of us at one time or another feel insecure, feel uh, inadequate, maybe isolated, particularly, let's say, in this last year or so, that we just don't fit in, that we don't belong. And when we feel this way, sometimes, honestly, our behavior can be such that we're simply trying to feel belonging, feel like we're included, feel like people like us, and that kind of stuff. And again, I think that type of recognition, when it's for approval as opposed to pride, is just another form of a potential earthly treasure because we're looking for something from someone else that only God can provide. So we've seen two categories of earthly treasure now, possessions, money, the things we have, um, and then the second, recognition, whether it's you know, seeking it out of misplaced pride or a sense or desire to feel like we belong. And all of these, regardless of which they are, really, they're, what they're looking for is an immediate satisfaction some type of immediate reward in the here and now or a pleasure in this life. So let's just look at one other form of earthly treasure. Uh, Matthew 10 says this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. So this conversation takes place on their approach into Jerusalem just days before the Lord was crucified. So these guys have lived with Jesus for 
years. They knew Jesus in the flesh as the son of God. And, you know, again, they had heard all, but still didn't even understand what was going to be transpiring in the upcoming days. So John and James on the sly, I have to imagine, kind of, you know, Jesus, you know, come here, you know. And so they say, they say to Jesus, they're saying to God, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I mean, that's just not a good start to a conversation with God. (laughs) Just hint, you know, when you're praying, when you're talking to the Lord, don't start off with Lord, I'd like you to do whatever I want you to do. That's probably not, that's kind of the reverse of the relationship that we ought to be having, but that's what they asked. And so Jesus, honestly, he responded to them by saying, you know what, guys, you have no idea what you are asking for. And, oh, by the way, you are, in fact, going to drink from my cup, and you are going to drink from the cup I am about to drink from, which was really talking about his suffering and his death. And he prophetically told them, you don't know it now and you don't understand it, but you will drink from that cup. But it is not mine to give to sit at my hand, that is up, or at the right hand of me when I'm in glory, that is up to my father. But he told them essentially, you know, you're looking for the wrong thing, guys. So after the other 10 heard that John and James had heard, asked this of Jesus, they're ticked off. They really are, they're mad. Like, you know, what are you guys doing? You know, like, what about the 10 of us? Because frankly, they all wanted the same thing. They wanted to be in that place of prestige and power and that kind of stuff. And so Jesus really explained to them that the only way any of the 12 of you are ever going to be great, ever be recognized for anything is when you are a servant, when you are a slave to all. That's why I came. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. Jesus was telling them that the earthly treasure that they were looking for, which was power, position, authority, being special, being different, uh, greatness, that that only comes through servanthood. That only comes through being a slave. That only comes by giving your life away, just like Jesus did. So we've seen these three categories, just kind of looking broadly at what is earthly treasure. So we've got our money, our possessions, the things that we own. We've got recognition that we seek either through kind of the way that we behave or even out of insecurity, the recognition that we seek. And then lastly, this opportunity for some to seek power, prestige, authority, and that kind of stuff. And all of those are are just inherently looking for some type of immediate satisfaction, some type of pleasure here and now, and reward in this life. Something that is essentially saying, look at me. Look at me because of what I have. Look at me because of what I've done. Look at me because of the car I drive. Look at me because I'm religious. Look at me because I'm standing next to so-and-so, whatever. It's all about saying, look at me. Somehow, I need that, that I need that. I'm important, I'm cool, I'm worth something. So essentially, I think that's how scripture defines what are treasures of the earth. So let's look at treasures of heaven. As Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but do lay up for yourselves treasures uh, of heaven. So what are those? I think the simplest answer, honestly, is, quote, I, I, I read this, and I think it's just a simple description, deeds of goodness and mercy. Deeds of goodness and mercy really constitute those heavenly treasures. They're the choices that you and I have an opportunity to make every single day 
of what to do with our money, what to do with our lives, when we intentionally live our lives for the purposes, the will, the kingdom of God, and not for ourselves. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says this, says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, after you've done that, then will your barns be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So it is when, as a earth, as a heavenly treasure, it is when you and I honor God with our lives, with our money, with our time, with our resources, with the first fruits of everything that we have, the best of everything that we have. That is a time that we are laying up treasures in heaven. First Timothy 6 says this, command those who are rich in this present world, and by the way, that's you and me, uh, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So when we put our hope, when we put our trust, when we put our confidence in God, not in our wealth, not in our possessions, we are laying up treasures in heaven. The Bible says that God richly provides us with everything that we have and everything that we need. He has provided everything that we have for our enjoyment. But he also commands us with everything that we have to do good, to be rich in giving, to be lavish givers, to be extravagant in good deeds, and to be outrageously generous and willing to share. And we all know the passages in Acts where the early church, and this was in response to just the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and just the transformation that was taking place at, at the speed of light in people's lives in those first months when the gospel was preached, that the church back then in response to the gospel met the needs of thousands of new believers that had come, Jerusalem, come to Jerusalem and never left. And it says in Acts 4, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Jesus tells us about other just simple ways of loving him and of loving others. In Matthew 10, it says, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward by doing something as simple as sharing a cup of cold water with someone in need is laying a treasure up in heaven. Jesus in Mark 12 tells the, his disciples when he's watching people giving money that he pointed out specifically a poor widow who had given more than the rich who were just dumping money into the coffers, but it was all coming out of their abundance. And he spoke specifically of this widow and said, 
She has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So these are just some of the choices, some of the actions that you and I can make in our daily lives today, here in the U.S., here in Ojai, in building up treasures in heaven. So let's turn to the second main point. So we've looked at treasures, earthly treasures, what are they? Heavenly treasures, what are they? Let's go to the second point. Why do they matter? Why do treasures matter? Well, the simple answer, again, is that treasures have consequences. Just like pretty much everything in life, there's a consequence to the treasures that we choose. Jesus talks about one of these consequences in Matthew 6, where he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you'll put on is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And then a little bit later on, he says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. <clears throat> so we, and I'll just put myself in this category and many of you, we are anxious and unbelieving people at times. And we live in an anxious and an unbelieving culture and society. We're anxious and unbelieving when we don't think that we have enough or we don't think that we have what we need. When our father has told us that he knows everything that we need and he has promised to provide everything that we need when we trust in him and seek him first. We're anxious and we're unbelieving when we don't get what we want. Um, during the pandemic, well, even before the pandemic, um, I love to travel. Kathy and I love to travel. We've traveled a lot over the course of our lives. And when we got into the pandemic and we had a whole bunch of trips that were planned during that year and a half period of time and they just got canceled one after another after another. And honestly, I was kind of wrestling with that. I'm going like, ah, bummer, you know, we're not going to Spain. Oh, bummer, we're not going here, we're not going there. Just stuff that I had planned on, I'd wanted to do, and uh, it was something I wanted, and I didn't get it. And honestly, that created a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of unbelief even in my life. And then when the pan is just in the last few months, as the pandemic has, you know, kind of travels beginning to open up and this kind of stuff, I must get two or three emails a day, you know, from airfares, cheap airfares to Greece, cheap airfares to Costa Rica, cheap this, that, all this kind of stuff. And honestly, every single one of them, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, let's do that. Oh, that's amazing. That looks good. Yeah, Kathy and I really want to go there. So honestly, I'm just confessing. I have had a lust. I'll just say as it's begun to open up again, I am just like, I want to claw at any opportunity to just like go do something that I want to do. And that honestly, there's an element of anxiety and an element of unbelief in my attitude towards that. And a third category, I think, of where we are anxious and unbelieving people and a culture is that we aren't radically generous. Um, And again, I I will just, that's definitely been one of those areas in this last year that the Lord has been um, very focused in on my heart and my life about being radically generous. Um, I have really struggled with that for a long time, and I really have prayed a lot about why. What is it that has, it prevents me 
from just being radically, outrageously generous. And honestly, I think it's fear. It's me being afraid. I'm scared that life itself, circumstances in my life might become difficult or they might become uncomfortable or they frankly might just change from what I'm used to and what I like um, before Kathy and I go to see the Lord. I have unbelief that the Lord will provide and meet my genuine needs, my real needs, the things I really need, not the things I want, unless I make sure that I have enough money saved up to make sure that Kathy and I are comfortable until we die. And so, honestly, just for myself, myself personally, and I don't know how you feel, that's between you and God, but I have unbelief in my heart towards the Lord and a lack of trust in the Lord that prevents me or keeps me, it doesn't prevent me, but it, it hampers my willingness and my choice to be outrageously uh, generous. Oswald Chambers says this, you cannot hoard things for a rainy day if you are truly trusting Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. God will not keep your heart from being troubled. It is a command, let not. To do it, Continually pick yourself up, even if you fall 101 times a day, until you get into the habit of putting God first and planning your life with him in mind. Well, I'm discovering through this journey that I've been on in this last year or so, and I, uh, I wish, honestly, I'd like to think that I don't do this, but I discovered I am hoarding for a rainy day. I just had to come to the honest truth about that is what I do in my life more than I should. I am not trusting God to meet my needs. And he is without question troubling my heart the way that Oswald Chambers is talking about. And as Chambers said, God is not keeping my heart from being troubled. Um, I kind of wish he, you know, I, I, honestly, I guess I, in something in me, kind of wishes he would. Like, you know, come on, I've, I got the point. Yeah, okay, can we kind of move on from here? It's like he won't let go. He is troubling my heart about these issues. He wants my attention. He wants me to change my behavior, and he wants me to change my choices. And he's troubling my heart until I obey him. Has God done something like that in you? Is God doing something like that in you? Just a similar, I don't know what it might be for me. I'm just telling you what it is in my heart. But is God troubling your heart right now about something? Um, my prayer, if he is, like I, he is with me, that he won't untrouble you. He won't let your heart not be troubled until you hear his message and you put your trust in him. Francis Chan, in his book, Crazy Love, summarized too many of our lives, including mine, with this statement. Our talk doesn't match our lives. We say things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then we live and we plan like we don't believe God even exists. We try to set up our lives so that everything will be fine even if God doesn't come through. But true faith means holding nothing back 
It means putting every hope in God's fidelity to his own promises. And again, I'm sorry, that I just totally relate. That's just a very convicting <laughs> sentence to me, you know, that um, I say those things, and in many aspects of my life, I do those things. But the Lord has zeroed in on a couple of areas in my heart and my life where I'm not doing those things. I don't want to live like Francis Chan just described. Do you? I, I, I don't want to say that I trust the Lord, but my actions don't live up to what I'm saying. They don't display my confidence in his promises. Really, may God convict us. May God convict you. May God convict me when we are deceiving ourselves like that. Another consequence of pursuing earthly treasures is separation from God and selfishness. Luke 18 says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, he's talking to the rich young ruler, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he, the rich young ruler, heard these things, he became very sad because he was very rich. 1 Timothy 6 says, for the love of money, it's the love of money, it's not money itself, it's the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So here we have two different groups of people, two different sets of people, for both of whom, for which the love of money had dire consequences. In one case, we have the rich young ruler. This man was a religious man. He wanted to love God. He wanted to follow God. He looked really good to most people. There wasn't much that this guy hadn't done, but he walked away from following Jesus because of a love in his heart for money. And the second group is actually people who have put their faith in Jesus. These are people in the church, people who are serving him in the church. It's your neighbor, it's people sitting next to us, that kind of thing. But they ended up being drawn away from their faith. They left their faith because of the tentacles of the world, the love of money. And when I read that, I think, frankly, of Eustace in... Uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. So you may remember that Eustace, when he was magically transported into Narnia along with Edmund and Lucy, he acted quite the, quote, prig, unquote. That's what C.S. Lewis uses. That's his word. Um, just being selfish to the core. Eustace was just in Narnia and everything was about him. He was selfish and self-centered about anything and everything that took place as they started on an adventure with King Caspian. And his selfishness eventually led him into a dragon's lair. And in the dragon's lair, as you can imagine, was lots of gold and wealth. So Eustace is just stuffing his pockets with jewels and gold and all this kind of stuff, having dreams of, of, of a cushy, wonderful life after he gets out of here with all of these uh, riches in his pockets. But to his horror... Before he left the dragon's lair, he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he found he was a dragon. And it, that created this period of real intense soul searching that was going on in Eustace's heart and life. He began to look at his own behavior 
on this trip and with the Narnians and with Edmund and Lucy and realized he was really out to lunch. But there wasn't anything he could do about it. He, in an effort to try to escape this pain, this agony that he was in in realizing what he was really like, he would rip at his own skin, trying to get set free, and nothing he could do would set him free. His salvation only came by the claws of Aslan. Aslan, again, if you've read the books, is the type of Jesus Christ in the stories. And it took the claws of Aslan to literally tear the flesh off of Eustace to finally release this transformed boy back to his friends and back to his, uh, to his life. But it was the pain that only Jesus could bring in taking off his old nature before he could be released back into the new nature. So laying up earthly treasures has consequences. Uh, frankly, I kind of think it's an awful place. It's a prison. It's a place that's absent of God. Where when we just give in to the love of money or our attachment and our pursuit of earthly treasures. So let's turn the corner. Let's look at the consequences or really blessings of the heavenly treasures. Honestly, the first thing when I just was thinking and praying about this, the first thing that just came to my mind was that Jesus never said that even the heavenly treasures are going to be easy. Turning our hearts away from the world, turning our hearts away from the things of this world, and even doing things that are result in heavenly treasure is sometimes difficult. Jesus had, frankly, some pretty raw words to say to us about being attached to anything other than himself. In Luke 14, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Honestly, it's hard to imagine how God could have been more blunt, been more kind of in your face, black and white, this is the way that it is. So God is saying to you and saying to me that we cannot love anything, anything more than him. Not our family, not our children, not even ourselves. This has been his message from the very beginning, from the garden to Revelation. When the Ten Commandments were given, the very first law was have no other gods other than me. The greatest commandment when Jesus was asked about it, what does everything revolve around? It revolves around loving the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our, everything that we have. And living this out, these truths that Jesus is putting before us, since the gospel was first preached, has never been easy. It frankly, in many, many believers' lives over the course of the last 2,000 years, has resulted in death, in persecution, in isolation, in ridicule, in being hated, in being rejected, mocked, abused. So that's actually, honestly, unfortunately, the first blessing that you and I have from laying up earthly treasures 
is that it may be hard and it may be difficult at times. But fortunately, on a more positive note, uh, God also promise us, promises us the most mind-blowing blessings when we lay up our treasures in heaven. And I think they're summed up in Galatians 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. So God's promise to us, God's promise to you, when you choose to lay up a treasure in heaven by giving a cup of water, by being generous, by following him in whatever he is leading you to do, his promise is that when we love him more than anything in this world, when we walk in his spirit, like we heard about in Ephesians, when we abide in Jesus throughout the course of a day, that we will experience in our entire beings all those attributes that Galatians is talking about. No matter what our circumstances are in this world, we will know his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and his control. It's through the truth of his word, it is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that these attributes will be ours in fullest measure all of the time. When we walk in that freedom that Richie talked about last week, that we are free from everything that holds us down. We are free to everything that God has promised us. When we walk in that freedom, we will love and honor God. We will love one another and we will lay up treasures in heaven. It says in Philippians 4 that when we cast our anxieties on the Lord, when we pray and come to him with our petitions and needs, he promises that his peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, we cannot even fathom the depth of the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Becoming more aware of this back to my journey that I was laying up treasures on earth and not trusting God has a practical application in my life, a number of them. I just want to talk about one, and it's regarding travel. As I've mentioned, I, how much I love travel, but the Lord has been really kind of zeroing in on my attitude, my heart towards it. There's nothing wrong with traveling. It's my heart towards it that was the problem. And to be honest, and it's embarrassing, honestly, to admit um, that in the past, I really have not prayed about or asked the Lord about a trip that I wanted to take. So I shared this with Kathy just like about three or four weeks ago. And I've been keeping her just informed of kind of this journey I'm on. And I'll just, we'll sit down occasionally. I'll just say, well, kind of here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I feel like the Lord's telling me. Here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm struggling with and blah, blah, blah. So I told Kathy about three or four weeks ago, because, you know, I plan all our trips. I'm forever looking for the next trip. I'm on trips planning the next trip. I mean, I'm like all about travel. I love travel. I've been doing this my whole life, okay? So I tell Kathy about three or four weeks ago, I said, honey, 
you know, I have come to the realization that I don't think I've ever prayed about going on a trip, like ask the Lord, like, is, should we go on this trip? And she looked at me dumbfounded. And she said, you don't? <laughs> and I'm going like, whoa, ouch, you know, like I'm out, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I don't. I just never have, you know. And so, um, you know, re- the reality was if I had an idea for a trip to go on, or we had friends who were going anywhere. If it fit into my schedule or our schedule, and if we had money to do it, I did it. That's kind of what my attitude was. There are so many other areas of my life, honestly, where I seek the Lord. I ask the Lord for his will. I pray about things. I, I just, lots of areas of my life that I do that. But I just came to this confronted, God confronted me with this realization this revelation that this one area of my life has just been completely void of me asking the Lord and, and, and laying it down at his feet. Um, I used to, I mean, 20 years ago, when we would go somewhere, I'm posting pictures on Facebook and, you know, putting everything out there and our Christmas letter every year. I don't even do Christmas letters there anymore, but our Christmas letter was just filled with all the things, places we went, you know. And honestly, just in looking back, there was just kind of this source of pride in me. Like, isn't it cool that we went here and there and this and that, you know? And I don't know that I thought it or felt it at the time, but looking back, that's totally, I mean, there was a very selfish pride orientation that was going on in me. So I stopped doing that. I stopped posting pictures and and, and, well, I kind of stopped the Christmas letters first and then kind of didn't post as many pictures. And then, honestly, I tell you what really brought this home to me in the last handful of years was, you know, the travel that I do down to Haiti, the travel that I do down to, uh, to Mexico and stuff. I, I have good friends in Haiti. These are men and women that I love, men and women that I know. And I'm... I'm, you know, I'm somewhere and I'm skiing up in Canada and I'm thinking like, I can't post this stupid, idiotic picture of me skiing in Canada. What is my brother in Haiti going to look at this picture? I don't know. I just, it was just a, this kind of thing. Like, I can't do this, you know? And so in a way, kind of the Lord's been kind of just kind of working on me. But again, just in this last year, it just has been like this big deal, you know, like I need to submit absolutely everything relative to this, um, to the Lord and obey his answers, completely let go of what I want. And, uh, that's just quite a transition for me. So letting go of my will, obeying his will quickly and joyfully. And I am working on applying in this aspect of my life, what it says in James 4.15, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. So for me, personally, this has been a real shift, laying up earthly treasure and seeking to obey him and lay up treasures in heaven. So we're pretty close to the end here. What's the real treasure? Ephesians 1.3 says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, Jesus, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So God, our father has given us you and me, in Christ, everything that there is in heaven. All the power, all the wisdom, all the strength, all the humility, all the love, all the truth, all of God himself has been given to you and me in the real treasure who is Jesus Christ. 
Second Peter says, his, God's divine power, has, been, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And Colossians 3 says to us that we have died, I have died, you have died, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The real treasure, honestly, is just represented by the gospel. The gospel itself is the articulation of the treasure. That Jesus, the son of the living God, humbled himself to come to this earth as a man. That he lived a sinless life. That he undeservedly went to the cross and he bore my sins and your sins. That he resurrected. That he gave us his Holy Spirit and that he ascended to the Father where he reigns today at his right hand until his return. He is the real treasure. He's who we need to seek in this life, and when we do that, we will lay up treasures in heaven. But how do we do that? God asks us really just to do two things. One is make a choice. Make a choice. Matthew 6 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. As hard as we try, as much as we would like, it is impossible to do. So making a choice is something that you and I have an opportunity to do. Do we want to lay up earthly treasures or lay up treasures in heaven? It's pretty black and white. It's one or the other. Um, If you, like I am having to come to terms with my own heart, my own love and trust in money as opposed to trusting in God, my own plans that sometimes just leave God out, if you're laying up those treasures we are forfeiting treasures in heaven. So first is make a choice. Second is trust him. Matthew 6 says, our heavenly father knows what you need and he tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything that we do need will be provided. Jesus says this in Matthew at the end of the section where Jesus is talking about earlier on what we read about all the things that we worry about, the things we're anxious about, the things in our lives, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to drink. And he tells us to seek him first and he will meet our needs. Seek him, love him, and serve him. And just as a last thing, this brings up to mind um, my friend and my brother, uh, Sabian Alexis. Um, That's him on the left there. In Capetian, Haiti. Sabian's in his late 70s. I'm not sure exactly how old he is. And frankly, when I was thinking about this, I thought, that's only about 10 years older than I am. And I'm thinking, Sabian's old. When I met Sabian, I'm thinking, he's like old, you know, and I'm realizing, oh, so am I. So. But Sabian is in his late 70s. He has served the Lord faithfully in Haiti in beyond belief difficult circumstances for over 50 years. This man's eyes are always 
24-7, 365 on the kingdom, on the gospel, and the needs of those around him, not himself. I was talking to his daughter a couple of weeks ago. She lives in Florida with her husband and family. And I'm not even talking about all this. She's just, we're just talking about a whole bunch of things and potential work in Haiti in the future and stuff. And she just mentioned, she just kind of says these things about her dad. And she just talked about this time where um, he just gave away his bed. Somebody needed a bed. And she said, I have the hardest time getting him to like, one, sleep at all, let alone sleep in a bed because he just gives it away. Every time he gets a bed, he gives it away because somebody else needs the bed more than he needs it. He doesn't sleep that much. I've, when I've been down there a couple of times, you know, 11 o'clock, I'm dead. I'm going to bed. He still has five people waiting to meet with him day after day after day. This man barely sleeps and eats. He runs a medical clinic. And his daughter told me this story about the, the medical clinic is... Um, He does it to raise funds to support the gospel, to support the ministry. And he, she shared a time where he called her and just said, I earned enough money today to support two more pastors. That's just how he thinks. That's what his life is all about. That's the only thing that mattered to him that day. I mean, he's caring for patients. He's doing all sorts of other things. But to him, the purpose of his life was making $50 that day so he could support two more pastors. He tirelessly preaches, he teaches, he mentors, he guides in the most stressful and challenging situations. And through it all, he exudes the deepest and the most genuine joy that I have ever seen in a human being. He trusts the Lord every moment of every day to provide what he needs and the people around him. And he walks through all of this in true humility. I want to be like Sabian. I want to be like him. I want to trust the Lord like he does. I want to love others like he does. I want to serve the neediest in this world like he does and take no concern for myself like he does. And I want to do it all with joy that is unspeakable. But to be honest, I don't think I can get there. I don't think many people can. Most people can't be like him, like Sabian, just like most people couldn't be like Paul in the New Testament, but, but we are challenged to imitate them, to strive to be like them, to follow their examples. Paul says in Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in, any of, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So for me, God has revealed some ways in which I think otherwise, like Paul just said, where I have not been pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. For me, I'm working through this with God. It's not been easy, to be honest, and it's not over. I want God to win in my heart. I want my treasure to be Jesus and Jesus alone. How about you? What do you want? What might God be revealing to you, just on a very personal level, areas in your life where maybe you have been laying up treasures on earth rather than heaven, where you might be loving money or the things money can buy more than God? We're going to move into just a time of communion now. So here's a time where we get to remember, where we get to celebrate the work that Jesus has done on the cross, his death, his resurrection, and the fact that he has set you and I free. He has set us free to follow him, to experience everything that Galatians 5 talked about. Those are the treasures in heaven that we can experience here on this life when we just abandon ourselves and pour ourselves out at the feet of Jesus. So this will just be a personal time. Uh, if you are new here, we have in front of you the little cups there. Got the bread on one side and the juice on the other. Make sure you open the bread first or you'll spill the juice all over yourselves. But this is just gonna be a personal time. Um, I guess if any of you guys wanna come up if you're playing music during this, um, I just ask you, urge you, encourage you, ask the Lord here taking the Lord's Supper. Um, what does he have to say to you? Is there anything he wants to talk to you about right now in light of the things that we've talked about this morning? Let him speak to you. Listen to him. Listen to what he says. Tell him that you want him to be more important than anything else in this world. He will hear you. He will answer your prayers and he will answer the cry of your heart.